my name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Walking with a limp like, will I ever run? Once again, or is this it? Am I forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun. Some people were cool, but not everyone. Good afternoon, everybody, or good night, wherever you are. Uh, this is Pat from the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Uh, Gianni is uh, unavoidably detained, and we do have a guest, so we decided to kick off the show without him. He may be joining us mid-show, and if that happens, uh, of course, you, know, you will know about it. So we have a special guest. Now we have two special guests today. Uh, Adrian Martinez of the Invest in Yourself podcast. We've had him on the show before. A veritable font of knowledge. He knows the subject. And today he's bringing with him uh, uh, a, a, a friend of his, and they're going into business together, but we'll, we'll get into that a little later. Salvatore Polisi, who uh, I had the pleasure of reading his book, The Sinatra Club, about three years ago. This is a coincidence. Uh, and I tell you, I really enjoy it. And coming from a writer's perspective, I mean, I, I've published 12 books. I'm very picky when it comes to books. I'm you know, always looking for mistakes. And uh, really, as you know, you can't enjoy reading anymore once you start to write. You're always looking for something that sometimes isn't there, but most of the time is. But uh, I was uh, I was impressed with, with Sal uh, for his... Uh, his honesty, his humor, and uh, the, the way he the way he wrote the story it was just it was great. So, without any further delay, Adrian, why don't you uh, introduce Sal? Okay. Well, uh, Sal is uh, he was a Colombo associate from you know he way back in the day before all these other you know mob guys are talking and speaking because Sal actually was really close with John Gotti before he became the boss of the Gambino family. So Sal was. Uh, he also had a, a club, a social club that he opened called the Sinatra Club, and uh, he would also go on to write a movie and book about it. But so Sal was around a lot of guys that were that were they they were made they were before they became made men or capos or bosses of families. I mean, he was around a lot of these guys before. I mean, he met a lot of cool people in prison. I mean, he'll be able to tell you more of it about it than me just telling you. So uh, Sal, uh, if you want to go ahead and just give a little background for people. Hello there, Patrick. How are you? Sal, it, it's it, it's a pleasure to meet the guy who wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, listen, you're an author. Uh, I was uh, enthusiastic about talking with Johnny because, you know, he shot, they shot that movie in 71. We knew the movie. When I say we, the guys in the street, we knew the movie was happening. And we also knew that uh, a lot of the mob guys they didn't want to recognize that movie even before it came out. But my position was that I was in and around with the Colombo guys and I accidentally fell in with Gotti and their Gambinos when it, when I became a crime partner with, with one of their young guys, a guy named Foxy Girodi. And then having the Sinatra Club, I had Jimmy Burke, everybody knows who he was, come in and play cards there and along came Tommy DeSimone well it didn't take long a few months and the three of us became partners after they had sit downs and permission was given to work with different guys from different families because as you know there was an ongoing war 
in the early 70s, uh, naturally with the Columbos, they were always at war. And then, uh, you know, also <laughs> the Bonanno group. So my experience was pre-Godfather movie. Once the movie came out, well, that sort of added to the mystique of who we were. Yeah, okay. So, I, I, I have a question here. You know, but changing families, affiliations, going in, in, into business with other people, it happens, but it's, it's, it's sort of rare. How did you wind up with Jimmy Burke and Dee Simone? Oh, let, let me let, let me start from from the beginning. How did you come up with the Sinatra Club? And okay, where well, was? It? Yeah, I'll tell you. In the summer, I should say in October of '71, after I had spent the summer robbing banks, and in the Sinatra Club, you remember the two geriatric bank robbers? They were old <laughs> enough to be my father, and I knew I couldn't continue to rob banks with them, so. Right around October, I got shot in the back by a New York City cop. I was driving a Corvette, and I tried yeah, I to run, run him over. Yeah. Well, I, I had my arm in the sling, and Dominic Cataldo, who was a hitman for the Columbus, said, hey, let's go stop at this little club. I go, who's in this little club? He said, oh, it's uh, Charlie and uh, Charlie Fatico and Danny Fatico, and they got all the young guys, all the gaudy guys are there. So we stop. We walk into this little shithole. This was all, if, if, if I'm uh, thinking correctly, this was off Atlantic Avenue somewhere, right? It was on 101st Avenue, the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. Oh, oh that. I thought you were talking about your own club. So Gotti was in jail in yeah. October. He didn't get out till February. So we stopped. We went in there. Dominic uh, was doing gambling business with Danny, Charlie, or whatever. And when we left, I said, that's a crappy place. Let's get a little a little rental and I'll make a nice little place and we'll have our own place because we had a gambling business. And what you did in those days, every Monday night, you settled up all the gambling bets. Well, it was already November and we had a huge football business. And if you'll remember, Monday night football started at nine o'clock at night in those days. Yeah. And so the guys would pick up the Bulldog Edition Daily News I, I don't know if you remember that. It I, came out I remember that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. came out at 7 o'clock. They'd come over to this little club. We'd straighten out all the bets. And we started playing nickel and dime poker in November. Well, by the end of the month, we got very excited because this major crime. We were rooting for this guy. And it was the guy who jumped out of the airplane, D.B. Cooper, with the money. And yeah. he was a hero. He was a hero to us. And more guys came to the club because we had a phone booth there and I had some good food. And before you know it, by January, we had a half a dozen tables were rocking and rolling with what they call today Texas poker, you know. Okay, this was, this was the club I, I, I was referring to. This right. this club, this Niger club, was off uh, Atlantic Avenue somewhere, right? Right, one block off Atlantic Avenue. Okay, if exactly. I recall, because I was, I'm, I'm, a re, I'm a retired NYPD lieutenant. I worked in the area. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, wow. Uh, it, yeah, it was a while ago, but I, I, you know, there were so many social clubs around there, but right. the name of the club stands out and I just never forgot it. You know I mean? How did you come up with the name? Well, there was this fat guy who, who, who actually would stay there 20, 30, 40 hours. He would stink because he wouldn't wash. And his mother <laughs> kept calling him, saying, come home and take a shower. How could you be in the Sinatra club all night? No, no. She said, how could you be in that place all night? She said, what's the name? He didn't know what name. He heard this, the music in the stolen jukebox. It was all <laughs> Sinatra, Sinatra records because Sinatra had retired. 
And then he said, bah, it's the Sinatra Club. And he gave the place the name. Ah, okay. So, I mean, besides running the club, which apparently, uh, from what I recall from the book, this is about four years ago, but I have a pretty good recollection of it. This club was pretty successful. I mean, you had a good run there. We did. We had the thing that happened was we started to get all kinds of guys, you know, and I didn't start hijacking and using Jimmy Burke until the spring of 72. Dominic introduced me to him. So once Dominic introduced me to Jimmy Burke, see, Dominic had done hijacking and Jimmy Burke had the best hijacking operation in the city. All you had to do was drop, you know, drop the truck off. He'd pick it up, unload it. You'd get paid the, the next day. So I got introduced to Jimmy. And lo and behold, he had crazy Tommy. Tommy did some more work with him. Well, yeah. by the time time Tommy came to the club and Foxy was there, Gene Gotti, Willie Boy Johnson, I mean, all these Gambino guys were there. And a few guys from the Colombo crew. Then we had Joe Messina stop there. No, None of these guys were made then, Patrick. No. How, how long was this prior to the Lufthansa heist? Oh, my God. This was happening in 72. Okay. In early 72. So by the time Gotti got out, we had to have a sit down. Gotti came out of Lewisburg. He didn't have $50 to play poker. He had no money. (laughs) But later he would go on to become the boss and have all the money. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, the, the Sinatra Club exploded because you could go there and hang out and be safe with other guys from other families. And that's how it was successful. Yeah, Yeah, but wasn't that rare? Yeah, I mean, to have guys from different crews, everybody's getting along. It's like a fantasy, you know, it was rare. But 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 once Gotti came there, he kept everybody in line, you know, sort of he had this image. I mean, he was he wasn't a boss. He wasn't even made guy. But every everybody was working together because we're hijacking trucks every other week. That's what (laughs) we were doing. How is it working for you know, you hear all kinds of stories about uh, uh, Jimmy Burke. And for those uh, listeners who, who don't know, Robert De Niro played him in uh, right. Good Goodfellas. So the character, uh, you're you're aware of the character. This guy's got sort of a m- mystique about him. How Absolutely. was he? What kind of guy was he? He was a great guy. He was sharp as a tack. Um, you know, and Henry described him, Nick Pelleggi described him as, wow, this guy, you know, he'd rather have He'd rather be involved with a with a crime than be with a woman. I mean, he loved yeah. crime. And yeah. one time we did a hijacking, uh, Patrick, and I think it was like maybe South American suede coats or something. I don't remember eight, ten thousand, whatever. He came back and he told Cataldo, "Look, I'll give them sixty thousand." I said to Dominic, "This stuff's got to be worth two hundred thousand. Go back and talk to him." He went back with one conversation and got us 80000 just like that. Jimmy gave us 20000 increase. So you could negotiate with Jimmy because he had the stuff sold before the cops even knew he did a hijack. And he could sell something in an hour. It was amazing. Quick. The guy okay. was quick. Yeah, he was quick. Yeah, he must have had a lot of good connections to be able to just be able to flip it just like that. Yeah. So let's wind up the clock a little here. How did you get involved in this life? What was your childhood like? Was your family involved in the life? Or you, uh, what happened? I had an uncle who had a who had a hotel motel on um, Rockaway Boulevard, right next to Aqueduct Racetrack. And Sonny Franzese would be hanging out there every every weekend in '65 and '66. So my uncle had a little gambling business, and he uh, taught me the gambling business when I was twenty. 
By the time I was 22, 23, he went to prison. And then I had moved the gambling business to a little pizza joint, which became Sal's Pizza. And it was like 100 yards from Fat Andy's house. But I wasn't involved with Fat Andy. I was involved with Cataldo and and Joe Brancata after the Colombo shooting. But I kept that business going. Dominic went and, you know, spoke to Brancata. And then Fat Andy left me alone back in the 70s. I should. uh, Yeah. 70s. Yeah. So you were were born and raised in Queens. Uh, Born and raised in Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn, Queens. Yeah. I was going to say, too, um, Patrick, uh, Sal's father was also a bootlegger for the Profaci family, him and his uncle. Um, okay, that's what I was getting at. So this is sort of uh, in the blood. Yes. Born into it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They taught you everything. I mean, if you were in New York and you saw Italians and you watched them, they were bred for organized crime because in those days they sold us a dream. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. You know, people respected you. I mean, in the 60s and 70s, you know, everything was so secretive. Really. It was so secretive. It had the mystique, similar to, you know, Hollywood, baseball. There was nobody airing laundry out. You didn't do that then. Yeah, I think uh, John Gotti, uh, when he came to power, he was a little bit confused. He forgot that the mafia is a secret organization. Exactly. Yeah, Joe Colombo, too. Yeah. Uh, what kind what kind of animosity did he draw? Did somebody try to keep him quiet? I, I mean, he, he was a capo at the time when, when he started with this, uh, uh, you know, publicity, going to, going to clubs and uh, giving well, interviews. You know, listen, uh, in the Sinatra Club book, I was pleasured to go to court with my attorney who wound up going to jail, Mike Corio, who's a mob attorney. Yeah, I know. And then, and that particular day in 74, I went with uh, Mike Corio, Angelo, and John Gotti to Roy Cohn's townhouse, where the fix was made about the McBratney shooting. And I was in that, I was in that meeting. The fix was in. So he went and took a four-year you know, sentence, and he became a hero, not only with, with the mob, but the general public loved Gotti because he sort of avenged you know, the death of Carlo Gambino's nephew. Well, to clear that up a little, so people who are listening, some might not know the, the whole story. Uh, this guy, McBratney, allegedly kidnapped Carlo Gambino's nephew. Right. And uh, uh, Gotti at the time w- was a soldier. What was he even made at the time? He wasn't even made. Not okay. At all. He, he wasn't made associate. at the time. But it, uh, uh, make his bones. He goes into a bar in Staten Island that McBratney frequented and in front of dozens of witnesses shoots the guy now it kills him now what i was always amazed at he only got what four years for that yeah because cohen had the connection in in staten island you talking about roy cohen cohen joel cohen oh joel cohen roy cohen you know was really trump's attorney by the way roy cohen yeah yeah Back in those days, the birds of a feather. So I was going to say, so what ultimately, how did he get off with this four years? I mean, did did he, uh, what did he say was self-defense or what the hell? I mean, no witnesses or what? I mean, no one. Plenty of witnesses. (laughs) But I mean, they didn't want to talk, right? It was a a bar full of people. I don't even think they had to talk. No. He just pled out, right? And they they just sentenced him four years. And you know, the guy who really did the shooting, he got whacked out. Ralphie, uh-huh. he got killed. So it was just Angelo and John left. 
So, you know, and that created an image for him. When he went okay, to jail so for Okay, uh, Sal, now that's part of the, 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 the story that's been sort of like folklore. Maybe right. you, you can set it straight. Uh, what I heard was, and apparently what you just confirmed, uh, Gotti really didn't shoot the guy. No. This Ralphie Galone did it. They were trying to drag McFratney out. He was like a big lineman. He was like 250 pounds. And they yeah. couldn't get him out of the bar. So uh, Gotti takes the heat because he wanted to curry favor with Carlo Gambino. Exactly. exactly. What, happened to the other, what happened to the shooter, you said? He got murdered, Ralphie Galone. How how long after McBratney's? I don't think it was a year or so. Was it retaliation? I don't know. It was probably an insurance, insurance killer. Maybe it killed him so he wouldn't talk. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always another uh, serious outcome because, I mean, that happens quite often. Even if guys don't want to pay off their debts, like Sal had told me, they just whack them out. Well, you know, that's how Gotti uh, made his name. And I always thought that, well, maybe perhaps he didn't want the guy who really shot McBratney to start talking before you know it. Gotti looks like a fool. Mm-hmm. So obviously, maybe he has something to do with it. But uh, it, it, very interesting story. Everybody thinks that it was Gotti who, who, who pulled that trigger. But in reality, he didn't know. Uh, how do you, uh, Sal, at that age, you're a young guy. Right. How do you start coming up? Well, you know, I had to make a reputation for myself. I did a lot of crazy stuff. One time, Gotti brought a hitman down from, I guess, Boston. And um, he was a big, tall, six foot two Irish guy. Uh, And we were in Gotti's club one night and we were drinking and he abused a friend of mine. Well, yeah, I beat the crap out of this guy. Gene Gotti watched me take him out in the street, almost take his ear off. And they knew I was absolutely crazy. They would say, oh, Bots is nuts. Another time I told Jeannie, hey, let's go heist this, uh, you know, secure terminal in a JFK. He's, let me ask my brother. He went over and told John, he goes, you crazy, you Bots is going to get you killed. The guy's too <laughs> nuts. He's absolutely bunkers. He's going to go into the airport inside the security and heist a building full of watches from Switzerland. He said, don't go with them. Well, we went and did the score. We made a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> and we thought that nobody knew, but guess what? Years yeah. later, we found out Willie Boy Johnson gave us yeah. up. <laughs> After 20-some years. I mean, that's that's insane. It really is to think about it, because this guy, no one suspected yeah. him at all. You know, the what things that happened. So amazing. What's that, Patrick? Willie Boy got, got killed. He was he was he was killed by T- Tommy D. Simone, if I recall. No, right, right. He yeah. got whacked out. Yeah. Did Tommy yeah. go away for that murder? No, um, I don't know because he I had mean, died it, after, right? Yeah. If you check it out, a couple of guys who killed them, they were pretty slick. They stuck uh, nails in the back of their car, threw the nails out on the street after they machine gunned them to death, and that was the end. You know, but the whole great scene and. In MCC in New York, was Gotti convincing Willie Boy that he would never hurt him? You know, the reason, uh, Sal, I asked you if, if you came from Queens, uh, 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 you ever familiar with a guy by the name of Conrad Greaves? Conrad Greaves. He, he, he owned Conrad's Cloud Room by the way. Oh, Conrad's Nightclub. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. What do you what know you about that? That's, that's, you know, you, 
I listened to a lot of mob podcasts and I was on a job for 20 yeah. years. Not too many people talk about it. Not too many people yeah. are aware. Yeah. Of, if you have anything to add to the story, let's hear it. Uh, I didn't know Conrad that well. I know Dominic knew him, but you know, things that happened in that life, Patrick, like you were a police officer, so you knew names. I remember Joe Messina told me, hey, I'm sending the guy over, give him some work. I go, okay, what does he do? He's a great coffee. Guy comes over, he says, I'm Goldie. Okay, Joey sent me. So I gave him work because I had three or four buildings for dismantling cars. I sold to John Canigli. I sold to Roy DeMeo. My car business, Chop Shop, was the cover for my drugs. For years, this guy, Goldie, supplied me with cars. I didn't find out till 15, 20 years ago what his real name was. Rich. That's what happens in the life. Yeah. His nick nickname. So Conrad, I didn't know Conrad's name. You know, I just didn't know. No. Conrad Greaves. I, I, I used to uh, hang out at, at his club. This was a, a bar in a motel. Right. Right by LaGuardia Airport. It was nothing right. to look at. And right. this went from uh, a, a, a rat hole to three months later, you couldn't get in there with a shoehorn. Right. I mean, packed with women and celebrities yeah. and Conrad loved yeah. it. I mean, yeah. he's running around buying everybody champagne, buying everybody drinks. Right. And there were two brothers, the Jacobson brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Sal. Did you know them? The guys in the horse business? Uh, they were involved in shaking down bars in Queens. That's all I knew from them. Oh, I, I mean, I was a young guy at the time. Uh, I, I had just come on a job. I was on a job about four or five years. Uh, they tried to shake down Conrad, uh, and they didn't care uh, who hired him. They didn't care anything. You know, they just went in and said, we want this amount of money. They wanted a lot of money. They saw what this guy was making. Yeah. Uh, Conrad now thinks that uh, he, he's everybody's friend. Everybody is his friend, and he could do whatever he wants to do. And I was there the night Conrad cursed these two guys out. And I said, you know, what did I know? I was like 23 years old. I was brand new minted cop. But even I knew, you know, the place was packed. And I said, this is a mistake. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, something's going to happen to this guy. About two weeks later, I wasn't there at the time. Uh, in front of a lot of people, they lit him up. And I mean, lit him up. They set him on fire. Wow. Jeez. Runs out the door to try. You know, if you're on fire, and I hope that never happens. But if you're on fire, what you do is don't run. Uh, right. you, you fan the flames. Anyway, he goes outside. He collapsed. They went out. They pumped. I don't know how many bullets into the guy. Wow. And I was. I don't recall what happened to the to the Jacobsons. I. Everybody knew who did it. I mean, everybody saw it. I don't know if they had witnesses or what. I'm just wondering if you knew anything about the story. Well, but what years was this, Patrick? In the seventies. This had to be. This had to be seventy five. Something around there. It's. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, Patrick, I mean, so you, uh, I mean, when you're doing these interviews and stuff, like you're able to, uh, continue your investigations and stuff from, you know, back in there, I'm sure with all these mafia guys talking and stuff. Well, now, you know, it's we, like we hung out, <laughs> you know, Sal, uh, probably, you know, tell you the same thing. Uh, the town was wide open. The cops hung out in places that the wise guys hung out. The politicians Apparently. were there. So right. place on, uh, second Avenue and, 59th Street called the Alibaba. Yeah, I remember that. I, mean, with, I, I don't know who owned it. Gianni knows. Yeah, but sure. we used to go in and out of there because I was in a, a unit that worked in the area. And we were in there, you know, two, two three nights a week, packed with wise guys, a lot right. of women. They killed a guy in there. Uh, in front of, I don't know who they were, but I wasn't there. But uh, 
uh, this guy's nickname was Rabbit. And uh, he was about to leave the club. And two guys come in and he sees them and he runs and he hide, tries to hide under the piano. And in front of, I don't know how many witnesses, they just riddled this guy with bullets. And of course, nobody saw anything. Nobody mm. saw it. Then. <laughs> no. They did hear noises they thought would backfires. <laughs> but oh, the, my the, God. Nobody knew anything. And then it was a, yeah. there was a bar by the, the Queens Midtown Tunnel on the Manhattan side called a Beef East. Uh, uh, Alley Boy uh, hung out there with, a, with, with his crew. And uh, the cops were there, and everybody intermingled. Every you know, you, when, back in the seventies, when these two diverse groups, opposed groups, cops and gangsters, got together, everybody was very respectful. There was never any problems. You buy each other drinks, and then when you leave, the war starts again. You know, then right, right. you know. But, and I, I I told this story uh, quite a few times on, on this podcast, but you know, you weren't uh, around then, Sal. But I left my off-duty gun in the bathroom. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. wow. I didn't know I had left it in the bathroom until I got home in Jackson Heights. Wow. The mid- so that's why I liked hanging out there. Because you, you jump in the Midtown Tunnel and you're yeah. home like, like that half hour. I realized that when I was taking off my jacket, and you, I can't describe the feeling of looking in, in an empty holster. You know, uh, how do you explain that? Plus, it's, it's, it's like a five-day rip. Or a thirty-day rip in the NYPD, you lose a lot, go up on charges. But I knew where I left it. I went to the bedroom, I took the gun out, put it on top of the toilet tank, and I knew where it was. I said, "This, this thing's got to be gone." I yeah. jumped in my car. I made it back to the East Side in fifteen minutes. I was doing literally 80, 90 miles an hour through the Midtown Tunnel. I walk into the club, and Alley Boy Persico was standing there with my stub nose revolver, twirling it on the trigger guard. Really. So- Somebody called me when I got home. One of the girls there knew my phone number and said, I think you forgot something here. And that's what, because I was bombed. And it's when I looked at my house, I said, holy shit, it's gone. Anyway, he's twirling the thing around his finger and he says, I think you forgot something. And he hands it to me. Now, he didn't have to do that. Damn, dude. That's insane. Serious shit, you know. Uh, And, uh, you know, what do you do? You said, thank you. Shook his hand. And he said, don't worry about it. There was... Respect there is is the, the purpose of the story. You know, right. nobody wanted right. to hurt cops. The cops didn't want to hurt the wise guys unless we were working. It's a different story, and vice versa too. Right. Yeah, two, two yeah. opposed groups. But yeah. uh, everybody talks about the old days. But the old days, uh, as far as uh, 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 OC guys and cops, it was totally different. Yeah, yeah. Sal actually did know. Uh, didn't you uh, have encounters with Ali Persico? No, with his brother. Uh, with Carmine Persico? Alley, Alley Boy, not Carmine, yeah, with Alley Boy. You had, yeah, okay. Brother, yeah, so yeah. you want to speak on that? Oh, he was in, I was in Lewisburg with him. Well, I was there when the Mafia Road, uh, you know, took hold over there. Uh, but, you know, through Cataldo, in those days, in the 70s, they kept you away from other made guys. Their, their uh, philosophy was divide and conquer. So until after, once Colombo got shot, then I was invited to Broncado's house. But I wanted to mention to uh, Patrick, years later, like eight, I think it was like 1989 or 90, I was invited to speak at an FBI graduation. And when I got there, Robert Lucy was speaking there. Oh, I, 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 knew, I knew Bob. There you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. For those of you uh, listeners who don't know who he is, he was a detective in a special investigation unit, SIU. Right. Uh, they made made a movie out of it with uh, Treat Williams called Prince of the City. Prince of the City. Yeah. I remember all this stuff? I don't know where I parked my car. Yeah. But, but this <laughs> this stuff I, I remember. And uh, Lucy, you know, if if he would have come right out and said they got me with my hand in a till, yeah, uh, I was a thief. They got yeah. me and I flipped. He would have gotten a lot more respect than the bullshit yeah. story he was passing down through the years that yeah. he. He wanted to be a white knight. He wanted to say, I discovered the, what he said was, I discovered the error of my ways. Yeah. But of course, it wasn't a story. But you're talking about speaking in front of groups. He actually, well, Lucy would have an ongoing class in the police academy teaching about corruption. Right. You know, <laughs> you got to scratch your head and say, what? Yeah, Bob passed away about seven years ago, but he was- It was, a, you know, it was a different time. I go to Hollywood, who do I meet? I go to dinner two or three times with Sonny Grasso. I mean, I these understand. guys, they left yeah. New York and they wound up in Hollywood. Sonny did very well. Yeah, nice guy. Good guy. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah. So, so how did you, you keep on mentioning, you know, jails, Lewisburg and all that. What kind of time did you do it? Why did you, how did you do it? I mean, why did you do uh, it? Here, here's the deal. Uh, with all the bank robberies I did, I got caught for one. And oh, excuse me a second. These were armed robberies. Armed robberies in the 70s when there was no cameras, there was no guards, there was no glass on the counters, and there was no credit cards in 1970, 69, 70, 71. I was 25 years old robbing banks. And How many did you Oh, half a dozen. We did them with a clock. You had a minute and 30 seconds to get in, jump over the counters, take the money, and run. What did you guys think you were Jesse James or what? Oh, better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got busted for one. And I wound up going to jail for eight years. And at that time, I met this attorney. Thank God Jimmy Burke knew who he was. He said, hey, get this guy. He's going to be a famous attorney. Let him, you know, file an appeal for you because you were kicked, you were released out of the Marine Corps for being totally nuts. And his name okay. is Jerry Shargell. Oh, hey, Jerry today yeah. is uh, he, he walks on water. This guy is like a $2,000 yeah. power guy. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. When so did he, you represent, he represented me and I got out. I only did 13 months. Yeah. Damn good lawyer, man. Yeah, very, very famous. So he was actually one of Gotti's lawyers, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that's how I worked the system, got out. But when I was in there, Patrick, I met a guy who I thought was fascinating. And his name was Louis Fat Gigi Ingalese. And he Tell said us. to me, he said, Ubat, you're in here for bank robbery. I'm doing 56 years for drugs. I go, yeah, so what? He said, if you, <laughs> buy, if you buy a strainer and a spoon, you can make more money in one day mixing heroin than you could rob 10 banks. So this gets you to think. Yep. It got me to think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a funny guy. He's a very yeah. funny guy. So I got out and became a drug dealer. How long were you doing that? Oh, from 75 all the way up to 84, about nine What kind years. of weight? What kind of weight? Uh, I was dealing heroin mostly, small, you know, ounce, two ounce, three ounce. I never got up into the into the heavy distribution part, but I made a lot of money because I had a half a dozen, you know, just low-end drug deals that I'd probably make 20, 30,000 a week, quietly. Did you ever get caught doing that? No, I never got no. caught doing it, no. 
So that bank robbery bit was your only one? Uh, that was the only bust that I had for years and years. Yeah, one time. Was and then it was, was that? And then they, they threw out my case. I won an appeal on that uh, case. So you uh, didn't I'm, do the eight years? Yeah. How okay, many so years did you? 13 months I did. That was it. Yeah. 13 months. So that was but your only... Yeah, that was a good time, Patrick. I was in there, you know, the good fella scene in the movie, Paulie cutting the garlic. I was, yeah. in that room. <laughs> right. I was in that room with Angelo, Paulie, Henry, Joe Armone. You know, I was up there and they, and they had all their crews there. We didn't have telephones, but we had a corrupt priest. Corrupt priest. And my wife had to send $50 money order every month. I got whatever I wanted there. A corrupt priest. Hard to, hard to believe, huh? Father John, you sent him money orders to a post office box. He went back and told Johnny Dio, give the kid whatever he wants. He's sending money. And that's how I got my food, my cigars. Yeah. So I guess uh, the uh, screws don't uh, uh, search a priest, I would imagine. No, huh? no. They had, John, and Jimmy Burke had two corrupt guards, too. So what we saw in that, uh, that scene you're talking about in uh, Goodfellas, was that accurate? Absolutely accurate, a hundred percent accurate. And there was the door that you go into this room, it was like the size of a big hotel room, four beds, and there was a knock. Like if you knock three times, they knew you they knew who you were. If you knock once or twice, they were careful. Who who is this coming in? And Paulie Vario had Henry Hill working in the butcher shop. He would cut all the good cuts of meat and bring everything upstairs to Paulie. The stage. So the hard time wasn't that hard. I'm sorry. The hard time wasn't that hard. Oh, no, it was a joke. We had no phones, but Johnny Dio had a grip on the priest. And if you wanted a phone call, you saw Johnny, and Johnny was sent down to the priest's office. Just yeah. like that. Okay, yep. we're going We're, we're going to take a break here. we got to sell some stuff, so uh, let's go to a commercial. This is Patrick Piccarelli, co-host of the Hollywood Godfather podcast. I'm also the president of Condo Security and Investigations full-time investigative and security firm established in 1988. We are located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with worldwide affiliates. Our business paradigm is simple, to provide the most professional services possible while maintaining an ethical standard and client satisfaction. Our areas of expertise include criminal and civil investigations, asset searches, surveillance, executive protection, question documents, background investigations, computer forensics, polygraph, and many other services. Our staff consists of former law enforcement professionals with hundreds of years of combined experience. Your initial consultation is free. Visit our website, www.condorprivateeye.com or call 724-396-2808. Thank you. All right, we're back with uh, Sal Pelosi. Sal Pelosi. Police, pardon me. Uh, uh, police. I'm thinking of uh, the politician. Police. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sal, fascinating stories, man. Yeah, uh, good stuff. What, what made you do a 180? Okay, here's the deal. I was in prison with a guy who I loved. He was a shop guy. He wasn't a drug dealer. He was an old-time mob guy. His name was Dave Icavetti. And once we got transferred, I don't know if you remember the old West Street MC. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they closed it in July of 74. They moved all of us to Park Row. 
I was the first, me and Jimmy Burke and Dave, we were the first ones in that new Park Row MCC. Well, Dave Icavetti and I would play Pinoch against Jimmy Burke and Tommy Simone. So that was the summer of 75. But in December of 74, he had killed my best friend, Foxy Girodi. Who killed him? Shot, Tommy shot him. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, he was a sick person, Tommy. Yeah, for what so, real or imagined slight did this guy lose his life? Yeah, he was just, he was defending his sister. He didn't want his sister going with Tommy. And they got into an argument. But what happened in that MCC was Dave Icavetti, I confided in him. He was the Gambino captain. He said, don't kill that sucker. He's going to get killed anyway. He's just remember this. Once you pull the trigger one time, you can't take it back. And as I'm telling you, get out, start something legit, and get away from these guys. All these new drug dealers, which were guys who were 25, 30, 35, they could buy and sell all the old capos because we made a lot of money with drugs. He says, it's a vicious business. It's going to take the whole mob down. That's what he told me in 75. Well, words were never spoken. I'm telling you. How did uh, Tommy D. Simone get uh, killed? Okay, so I got out in September 75. Tommy, Henry, and Jimmy were getting ready to get out to the halfway house in, like, say, September of 78. Tommy came to my car shop. I had a car shop that was legit, and I had two buildings that I was chopping cars up, dismantling cars, stolen cars. I was selling to Roy DeMeo and John Coniglia. Tommy came to me, he goes, Ubas, we got this big score. I played it cool because I, you know, I let him go with the murder and all. I said, nah, that's not what I'm doing anymore. There's no more guns in my life, no murder, none of that shit. I'm dealing drugs. That's it, Tommy. He went ahead and they did the Lufthansa score. He came and told me about a month before they did it. I don't want any part of it. Didn't want any part of it. So they did ask you to be a part of it. Tommy did, yeah. Yeah, we robbed a couple of banks together, me and Tommy. We hijacked a half a dozen truckloads, Tommy and I. Wow. He was a good, good thief. He was a very good thief. He had the balls of a lion. He did. Well, Sal, that was probably the best decision you ever made. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be talking now. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And that, I mean, was seven, that was 78. Well, you know, they did the, the heist, I think, December of 78. By January, February, the word was out. Tommy was gone. Why? Well, I don't really know. I didn't ever get, you know, like a, a formal explanation who whacked him. You know, there was rumors that John whacked him, Gotti whacked him. I don't know. I really don't know. And I just walked away. That's when I started to get away from all the guys because they were killing left and right. And another thing that happened to me was uh, Cataldo was a big drug dealer. And one day he said to me, it was the summer of uh, 78. Hey, you got to dig a you got to dig a hole for us. I go, what do you mean a hole? We're going to whack this guy. And then, you know, you whack this guy with us, you can get bathed. So what do you want? He said, go out to West Hampton Beach. You're out there all the time. Dig a hole. Come back and wait for my call. You'll come pick up the guy with him in the trunk of your car. You'll go bury him. Okay. I go out and I spend all night digging a hole, getting blisters on my hands. Okay. I go, back, I go back to my house and I'm waiting. He never calls me. The next day I call him, Dominic. I was waiting all night long, man. So oh, come, let's have coffee. I go to have coffee. 
I go, what happened? He says, the guy didn't show up. He was supposed to bring himself to us, to me and Tootie, Tootie Franzese, by the way. Yeah. I said, okay. He says, go back and fill the hole up. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Really? I have to go back and fill that hole up. Now, this is like, say, the summer, like July, August of 78. While I was coaching football, because I had two gaudy kids on my football team, Mark Ryder was on my football team, my son, a bunch of wise guys' kids were on my football team. I'm coaching football one day, and Dominic Cataldo comes over. Come here, I want to tell you something. You remember that guy we were going to whack out? I go, yeah. He never told me his name. He's, we got him last night. He wanted to brag about it. So where'd you get him? He delivered himself to Tootie's house. I was hiding in the closet. I came out with a wire. I strangled him. I go, so did you have a hole for him? He's no, we just threw him in the street. <laughs> Jeez, the question, Patrick, the question that I asked, I was supposed to never ask. Why? Yeah, right, exactly. And, and you know what he told he told me something that shocked me. He said, yeah, it was better than paying him the 250000 I owed him. Yeah. Honor among thieves, huh? I said, that's all? You, you killed him because you owed him money? He said, yeah. So that's when I knew everything was changing. Yeah. So you made, you made an informed decision to get out, or it just sort of happened gradually? To get out. Um, I wanted out by 79, 80. I remember the spring of 80 when uh, Frankie Gotti, who was on my football team, Got killed with the motor with the uh, mini bike, right? Yeah, yeah. Don Clark. Yeah, right. Right. So then, uh, my son was twelve already. By 1981, I went upstate New York and I bought a piece of property. I had about a million dollars in diamonds and cash. I left Queens, went up there, and I built a racetrack. I spent over a million dollars building a racetrack. The problem I had was I didn't realize you can leave the life of a gangster. But you got to stop spending like a gangster. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I didn't That's have any true. money coming in. It goes away, man. <laughs> I was property poor. So a couple of years later, I borrowed 25000 from Johnny Caniglia. I went back in the cocaine business. Yeah. And that's when I got busted and everything changed. Mm-hmm. How long we went for that? How long was I uh, dealing drugs? Yeah, dealing drugs. And uh, uh, how long did you spend in prison? I never went to prison. That's oh, yeah. I mean, I was there about 10 weeks. I had a million dollar bail. And yeah. when I got out, when I got out because of the judge, if you remember the judge in, in the Sinatra Club, the story, I fixed that case, my own drug case for the FBI. Oh, okay. So only 10 weeks. Yeah. So you walked. Yeah. Yeah. He walked just so like by that. By that time, by 84, 85, everything was changing. Okay, so at, at 84 or 85, are you out now? Did you finally um, say that? 85, I go in the program and I watch what's going on. And now you're law enforcement. You know, all of a sudden, the feds have got high-tech surveillance, man. Of course, yeah. They got wiretaps. They're doing stuff nobody ever dreamed of. And, and you also got a RICO. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan. Listen, I didn't plan to testify against Gotti. I testified against Brennan the year before the judge. Uh, yeah. Diane Jackalone, that crazy, naive prosecutor, calls me up, flies me to Detroit, Michigan, says, you know what? 
we got a Gotti case and you're going to be the first witness in the first Gotti case. I go, are you kidding me? A Rico case. I go, he'll fix the jury. She said, you're watching too many movies, Sal. And he fixed the jury. With Sammy. Yeah. If if, if I recall, it was a $60,000 payment to the juror. And the idiot put money in him. Yeah. And so he became a folk hero right away. Yeah. Teflon Don. Yeah. 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 Okay, so Sal, once you're out, what do you do with yourself? I mean, you're not making money anymore. I got to tell you this. I was always a creative guy. Okay. And nobody really knows this. Eventually, I'm going to let it out. I never once committed a crime when they put me in Texas. I had a new name, two sons that were athletes, and I was blessed to meet people to make some money. I got into the silkscreen business for a year or two or three. I made some money. I still had a little bag of Kruger ends. Then about five or six years later, I already split with the first wife. I met this young gal. I go, I want to have a daughter. Okay. In the meantime, I thought I was getting married to her. We went to Vegas. I couldn't have married her because I was still married to the first woman. Yeah, that, so, that, that, that. <laughs> that don't work. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't anyway, work. Anyway, to tell you the truth, Patrick, I invented a toy in 1997. Really? Legitimately, I made a half a million to a million in 90 days. What kind of it's still on eBay. I'm not going to tell you, but it's there. <laughs> okay. Now, to make that kind of money, it'd have to be a sex toy. Yeah. No, no. It was legitimate kid's toy. Yeah. Wow. Legitimate I did a lot toy. of things. A lot of things like that. I really Let did. me tell you something, Sal. We've been doing this for five years. We've had this podcast. I am so sorry that Gianni couldn't make it tonight because he would have loved this. But you, without a doubt, and I'm not blowing smoke, you're the most fascinating guest we've ever had. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So yeah. you got uh, it. Well, so you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do a podcast with Adrian, but he was so, you know, persistent. Let, let me hear one of your stories because you read two books. It was two books. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, I would like to do with Johnny because I know it would fit. I would like to talk about what it was like '72 when that movie hit. I tell you, yeah, we'd like to have you back. And I don't know. This was. Uh, I don't know what the hell happened today. But like I said, the first time. In five years, 250 shows that this has ever happened. So wow. <laughs> uh, I, I'll 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 uh, I'll arrange that after we're off the air. You, you give me your contact information, and we will definitely do it because yeah. uh, you know whatever information you can give uh, about the Godfather is uh, c- coming from another source. It's going to be a great show. Yeah. But yeah. that said, how did you two guys get together, you and Adrian? Well, uh, I did a, I did a show for a guy named Gary Jenkins cop in uh kansas city i don't know how he got my name i did a show for him and the thing went you know went viral and it was blown up and then gary told adrian you should interview this guy well last year netflix paid me and my wife to go to new york i spent the week there they paid me a bunch of money and i did this interview for them it's not been seen yet it's coming out it's it's called netflix fear city 2 yeah. Okay, I saw Fear City 1. It was good. It was last year. Yep, the yeah, documentary. This is the, this is the new one. This is the Season new 2, one. probably. Yeah. Two or three, yeah. Out, no? I'm sorry? Uh, September, right coming? now? Uh, I think they're going to air it September. September, yeah. Yeah. yeah for, the first Fear City was great. Oh, yeah, it was. A real good job on it. So, yeah. okay, you guys 
have a project together. Uh, Adrian. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, well, yeah. So me and Sal, we decided to partner up after I did an interview with him and it was one of my top most viewed interviews as well, just because Sal's got a crazy amount of stories and shit, man. And people realize that, you know, this, that he's not really did a lot of podcast appearances or interviews recently in today's times. You know, we see all these other people, all the other mafia guys out doing shows and, but we don't really see Sal. And so I was like, man, I really want to do something with him because if I'm going to stay in, you know, doing mafia and true crime, I want to have a co-host. And so I was like, I think Sal would be someone that would really coincide with what I'm trying to do. And I, and so that we made it happen. So we started a, a Patreon channel, which is another podcast platform where you can see all of our videos that are on there. We're going to launch our first one on uh, the 19th of this month, so June 19th. And then the second episode will be on the 26th of June. And then uh, July 3rd will be our third episode. And then July 4th will be, or July 10th will be our fourth episode. So, I mean, we're, uh, what we're doing is we're going to put it partially on my YouTube channel. Some of the episodes or each episode, there'll be partial, partial amounts of it on YouTube. And if anybody wants to check it out, I mean, I encourage you to check it out because uh, Patrick got some in the show notes. I think it is. Is that where people can find it? Our links? Yeah. And well, also, we can tell them it's a lifetime of mafia tales. Yep. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. The podcast itself is called. A lifetime of Mafia Tales with Salvatore Polisi and then myself, Adrian Martinez. And it's on the Patreon app and it's also on our YouTube channel. Well, my YouTube channel, I got two podcasts on there now is the Invest in Yourself podcast and then in a lifetime of Mafia Tales. It's all on one platform on YouTube. But that's where you could find all of our our videos and all of other Sal stories. I mean, we, we intend on having guests as well come on. So hopefully we can return the favor once we start building up our audience and have oh, you and sure, John yeah, come sure. on, you know, love to but, have you. And, yeah. uh, uh, guys, you know, thank you very much. And Sal, you, you, you're a hell of a storyteller. You, you're what's known as a natural. <laughs> Mafia <laughs> rocketeer, right? Sal? people can't, people can't write scripts like this. All right. That's true. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm, we're, we're going to go off the air. Okay, thanks, 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 Patrick. Okay, thanks, uh, Sal. Right. Adrian, we'll I'll be in touch, man. All right, All right. See, see you guys. Bye. Bye. And that was that. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning no regrets, in to the no Hollywood complaints. Godfather podcast. You can contact no Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact the section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our Most importantly, hit the subscribe We'll be back next week with My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all, you know, celebrities, world leaders, icons, who knows what's next for me. I'll never get too old to have a little fun, come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind, 
What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.